Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Episode 305, Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman. I am Jen Kirkman, your host of this podcast. I am a comedian, an author, a TV writer, an actor, and this is where I come to get real. I talk about whatever's going on in my life that week, maybe a little bit of what's going on in the world, maybe just random things. It's supposed to be fun, not necessarily funny. If you want to hear my comedy bits, you can certainly watch my Netflix special, I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine, or my second one, Just Keep Living. Both are available as digital downloads on iTunes. Go to my website, jenkirkman.com, and click albums, and you can get them there. But if you're looking for laugh a minute, laugh a minute, jokes, punchlines, bits, fart noises, this ain't it. But if you just want to relax and listen in to a friend leave you an obnoxiously long voicemail message, well, that's kind of what this podcast is. So, any of your iTunes reviews that are like, this isn't funny, I told you right away, it isn't. But it's fun. Having funlessness. Whee! What am I going to talk about this week? Well, first of all, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this week's episode, Talkspace. I guess that's sponsor. I didn't need to say double. Talkspace. And this week we're going to talk about I don't know, Billy Bob Thornton's on my mind, and I want to defend him for when he goes in and does interviews and says he only wants to talk about his band. I want to put on blast the people that have a problem with that. I am jealous of young Greta, the environmentalist who's taking the world by storm. Uh, A story I didn't get to last week where I talked about having a panic attack, which rendered me unable to do a pitch meeting. And I think it actually lead into a a better discussion about anxiety and how it's it's something we have to prepare for. I will read a couple listener emails and... uh, You know, if I get to it, there's a great article about women who have success later in life, and I haven't opened it yet, but I want you to experience the thrill with me um, because they better have started having success later in life. Not like she was 18 and her dad was a billionaire. Now she's 50 and still successful. How'd she do it? 
Anyway, all of that this week on Having Funlessness. Oh, let me really quick tell you that my tickets for 2020 are already on sale. New York City, Caroline's five shows. Sacramento, January 2nd through 4th. What if you don't want to go out on New Year's, but you're like, I want to go out on the 2nd? Well, I'm at the Punchline in Sacramento for five shows. I'm also back in Bloomington, Indiana. I will be there in February. That is the correct pronunciation, by the way, of February. And I am in Spokane, Washington. I will be there in April. That is not on sale yet. But right now, my loves. Oh, in San Diego, one night only in January, January 12th. So right now, 2020, already on sale. They make a great Christmas gift (laughs) or Halloween gift. Don't give your kids candy. Give them comedy tickets. You can get tickets to see me. 2020 is already, here we go, January 2nd through 4th, Sacramento Punchline. May, I'm in Caroline's five shows, New York City. Let's do it. And uh, also on sale, San Diego, one night in January. So there you go. Go to jenkirkman.com. Right there on the homepage is where all the tickets are. And you can click jenkirkman.com slash tour if you want. And if you're like, I don't see my city yet, don't you worry. I'm always adding stuff. So go to jenkirkman.com, click Kirk Mail, and you're going to get the Kirk Mail. I'm going to email you personally anywhere from one to four times a month about when you can get advanced tickets, special offer codes, all kinds of fun stuff. And then, guess what? 2019, it ain't over yet, babies. We've got shows for you. So I'm just going to rattle off the cities that I'm in between now and December 13th. And you, if you hear your city, you'll go to that website and you'll get your tickets. Everything is on sale right now. So I will be, within the sound of my voice, Amsterdam, Oslo, Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, Richmond, Virginia, San Francisco, Durham, North Carolina, and the big one that ends the year, the Los Angeles 2019, I think it's the 7th annual Jen Kirkman Dysfunctional Christmas Show. A portion of the proceeds will go to the L.A. Food Bank. There will be fun merriment sketches, some celebs maybe, comedians, some music. It'll be as beautiful and wonderful as it always is. So please find it in your hats to come on out for that. So let's get this week's episode going. Um, we shall see. Anyway. Sorry, guys. Um, ooh, I'm, I'm coming to an episode of network television. I'm not, I don't think I can say it yet. But one of the most popular shows on network television. Uh, I'm going to do a little guest star role. And I'm going to tape it. uh, I think by the time you hear this, I may have taped it or be taping it. And I don't know when it comes out. But there you go. Watch for me. This might upset the apple cart in some of my tour dates. Stay tuned. All right. Having fun, listeners. So I'm driving today and I see the billboard for Goliath, you know, the Billy Bob Thornton show, which I love. Season two was out of control. I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? If you don't watch that show, he plays a lawyer that lives in Los Angeles and he's he plays like the Billy Bob version of a lawyer. He's sort of a drunk. He had money, but he doesn't anymore because he went up against some big corporation. He sort of lives in a motel down in Santa Monica, but he's such, oh, just watching him is, is to me, 
a master class in acting. There's, he's just one of those performers that, that you watch, and, and the only thing you can take away from watching him is just, just shut your eyes, will yourself to death, and be reborn as Billy Bob. That's how you become a good actor. But the other thing it teaches me is just keep being more of yourself. Just let, just, it's, it's Lucy Goose. It's uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s like this too. It's just so, oh, it's just so easy. Makes it look so easy. Love to watch it. Anyway, I see the billboard for season three. I'm really excited. Even though season two did kind of freak me out. But each season, he's a lawyer, but there's a different case that he's on. So whatever case he's on in season three will be different than one, than two. You get the point. But I remembered recently, I was, I don't remember, I th- I've did a lot of press, obviously, recently for my tour dates, and I think there was someone, they, they weren't someone who has interviewed Billy Bob, but they were saying that they, um, I don't know how to explain it, they were saying that they've heard that Billy Bob in the, you know, recent years, maybe last 10, 20 years, not every interview, but has gone on interviews and said, I don't want to talk about my acting. I want to talk about my band. And everyone gets all up in arms. What the fuck? And it's like, guys, you got Billy Bob on the show. No one's listening to your show for any reason other than you have Billy Bob on. Or they don't have any kind of serious XM in their car and they just don't feel like changing the channel. I mean, unless you're Howard Stern, No one knows who you are with your radio show. You got Billy on. Shut the fuck up and interview him about what... In other words, the point is to have him on and have him be his interesting, authentic self. If he only wants to talk about his band, well, then learn a fucking few things about his band and ask him questions. And just, in other words, what he's trying to say is, right now I'm not focused on talking about acting. He's probably bored of it. He feels he is more than just that. Right? So let him, don't we all feel that way? You know, it's kind of, I think it sounds refreshing. You know, many actors, they're in a film, they're in a TV show, they have to go on press junkets. It's part of their contract. They're not excited to go do this part of it where they have to answer the same dumb questions. What made you want to take this role? And they probably want to go, I need the money. I always need it. Even if I don't think I need the money, I think I need the money. Even if I don't need, you know, So if I have my own radio show and I do my own podcast and someone says, I don't want to talk about this, we don't talk about it. And guess what? It's going to relax them and make them even more their authentic self. And so he's a little eccentric. Oh, my God. God forbid an amazing actor in show business is eccentric. Well, do you want the great performances he's given you that makes you excited to talk to him about his great performances? Well, then the flip side is the motherfucker is a little weird and he doesn't want to talk about the performances. He wants to talk about his music. So what? Talk about his music. He was a musician first. Maybe that, you know, I want to go on podcasts and radio shows and talk about dancing because I wanted to be a dancer and it didn't work out. You know, I want to, but you can talk to Billy about his favorite music. What bands does he see? Blah, blah, blah. There's, there's so many places you can go from there. You can ask him, have you ever met uh, a musician that you don't respect and how do you act around them and who is that musician? And what do you think is terrible music? What do you love about music today? What do you hate about it? When you're in a band, what does it feel like on stage? Do you do, 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 do? Uh, who is your favorite musician and do you hate what do you hate being asked about since we know you more as an actor probably most people aren't 
equipped to ask you music questions. What do you want to be asked, Billy? Hey, Billy, how do you think musicians should dress on stage? Should they have a look or should they just, you know, look like themselves? Or, hey, Billy, what do you think of American Idol? Is that like ruining music? Is that good? What's your favorite way to listen to music? Do you do records, MP3s? Do you see what I mean? Do do you believe in, you could just out of the blue go, do you believe in UFOs? I mean, of course, unidentified flying objects are real, but do you believe they are simply that, objects? Or do you believe they're space aliens? Why, you just keep going on and on and on. Billy, what's your biggest regret in life? Billy, how do you want to die? Billy, what's your favorite candy? Do you ever think you'd go trick-or-treating? Hey, you know how Bill Murray just shows up at weddings for no reason? Is that your kind of thing? Do you see what I mean? But you're like, I refuse to let an actor come on my show and be himself. I must follow the five questions I had. What's it like being in a movie? I mean, come on, everybody. So this is me today driving. I see the Goliath billboard, and that rant starts just going through my head where now I am all fired up at these radio hosts who are spreading shit talk that Billy Bob Thornton came in there and wouldn't answer the questions they wanted to ask. Um, Billy Bob Thornton, you're welcome to come on Having Funlessness anytime you want and talk about any goddamn thing you want to. (sighs) Having trouble breathing. (laughs) Because of that rant. Now, is that like... um, Am I crazy because that's on my mind? Is that, do I have too much free time? Do you know what I mean? Should I worry about that? Because actually I did feel, I actually got myself fired up thinking about it. I actually felt an emotion. I made myself angry and then I calmed myself down. Now maybe that is a sign that I don't have much to do in my life. I mean, I think I have tons to do. I'm always busy and not in a, hate when people are like, you seem busy. Things are great. Whoever is busy and it's great. It's terrible to be busy. It's better to have been so successful that you never have to work again and you're on the Riviera. Until that, don't tell me I'm doing great. I'm doing great when I have millions of dollars and have stopped working. That's when I'm doing great. You see me promoting shows in Saskatchewan? Don't tell me I'm doing great. It's nothing to do with Saskatchewan and there's not even a show there. But my point is I want to retire and I want 20 million. And I'm not close. Oh, everybody. Everybody. So, yeah, maybe I'm a little nuts. You know what that is? I'm a little anxious. I can get riled up easily. Or I can get depressed and get riled down easily. So that's why I'm glad that I'm in therapy. And I take pretty good care of myself physically. It's all part of it, right? Exercise. Eat right. You know, try to avoid too much alcohol, try to avoid too much sugar, processed foods that make you feel ugh, and then they get kind of addictive and then you want more of it, even though it makes you feel worse. You know, the whole thing. But therapy really is a great way to get to know yourself and to find out, hey, you know that thing I'm always thinking about or doing? It's not that weird. In other words, we're all not that unique. There's a handful of problems that we can have. And when we find out, oh yeah, this is a... This is a thing. This is a behavioral thing. You can do this. You can do that. It's like, oh, what a relief. So this is manageable. And I think most people don't even want to take the first step to getting into therapy. I met someone at one of my shows the other night who said he started going to therapy because of listening to this podcast. So, you know, I mean, miracles happen. My goal is by 2020, (laughs) by 2020, everyone will be in therapy. No, but seriously, It makes me happy. Um, 
It makes me happy when people say that. So that's why you know where this is going. My favorite sponsor. My favorite sponsor is here. And it is Talkspace. Now, this is a real listener email that I'm going to read to you. And then I'll get to our sponsor, Jen. Just wanted to drop you a note and say thanks for promoting Talkspace and being so open with your mental health. I've been lucky enough to take advantage of therapy twice in my life as a kid, but haven't really gone for a checkup in a long time. I signed up for Talkspace last week after putting it off for a while, and I've already gotten so much from it. Maybe in the future, people will look at it more like getting your teeth cleaned than like something crazy people are forced to do. I really respect anyone who can talk about their pain and confusion, and me getting back to investigating myself and helping myself is thanks in no small part to you. So, there we go. So, that's why I love our sponsor, Talkspace. What is Talkspace? It's therapy for how we live today. It's mobile, it's available when you need it, and it's affordable. Life can be stressful. Guys, we're coming up on the holiday season. Oh my God, why don't you get some tools now instead of waiting and going, oh God, that was a mess and drinking yourself to death under the Christmas tree. Get some tools now so you can deal with everybody when you all get together for Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever you do. Life can be stressful between work, family, and everything in between. It's not always easy to find time for yourself. Again, we all need someone to talk to. Why not get a professional? Talkspace has more than 5,000 licensed therapists. They're experienced in addressing the challenges we all face. And to match with your perfect therapist at a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, just go to Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com, and use code JEN. And you're going to get $65 off your first month and show your support for me in this podcast. Listen, Talkspace Online Therapy makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. You can send your therapist, once you guys start working together, unlimited text, audio, picture, video messages from anywhere, anytime. You are not alone, and you're going to be joining more than one million people who feel happier using Talkspace. It's convenient, and, and you know what? You don't even have to wait for your next appointment to talk about what's on your mind. If you're like, oh, wait, one more thing. With Talkspace, you can send unlimited messages to your dedicated therapist from the privacy of your device, anywhere, anytime of day. And of course, there's live video sessions available for extra support. One month of therapy on Talkspace costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session. And best of all, you never have to wait a week to share what's on your mind. Again, using the Gen Code, you get $65 off of your first month. So Talkspace, more than 5,000 therapists. Go to Talkspace.com. Use offer code Gen. $65 off your first month. Bang! So speaking of which... And I was like, do I, I'll tell you about my anxiety. So I have panic disorder. I was doing this interview in Toronto and I almost had to just roll me eyes because this guy said, so you've talked openly about your panic disorder. And, and you know, these coded words we say, I haven't talked openly about my panic disorder. Why the descriptor? Why the adjective? I've talked about my panic disorder. Openly implies that the correct way is to talk behind closed doors in a whisper. Openly implies I'm doing something risky and brave. Maybe I am, but why don't we be the leaders in that and and stop acting like it's risky and brave? Because it's not. It should not be risky to talk about 
having a disease. I have asthma. I, blow by. I had an asthma attack on stage the other night. It wasn't an attack so much as I needed my inhaler. I was just having a little bit of like I couldn't get a deep breath, but I was fine enough to do a show. And I mentioned to the audience, I'm having trouble breathing. Or I, I can tell that I'm not getting enough air. Maybe by the end of my set, I'll be having trouble breathing. But if I fall down, this isn't a part of the bit. I was serious. I go, my inhaler's in my hotel room. I wasn't nervous. I was fine. No problem. I'm back and use the inhaler later. It's really because I'm having a little acid reflux issues, and it can mimic asthma, or it can cause a little asthma, but very mild. You'll be fine. I'll be fine. I was fine. I am fine. You know, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm so ashamed. You know, and so you, know, you talk openly about your asthma. Do you see the difference? And he goes, now, how do you perform having anxiety? It would seem like it would cause it. Well, if you're a dumb fuck who doesn't know what anxiety is, it sure would. Everybody gets nervous performing or excited or you feel something before you walk out on stage or you're dead. You're dead inside. Now, it's just a matter of are the nerves unmanageable to where you really feel like you can't get out there? Well, that's something different. That's called stage fright. That's a phobia. Anxiety and panic are a disease. Anxiety doesn't mean, oh, I'm nervous. Anxiety is racing thoughts. Panic disorder is when your body physically freezes up and you feel all of these physical sensations that you do not need to feel unless you are running from an alien that landed. You know, your palms are sweaty, your eyes focus in, you lose, you know, you start, you don't have, you can't swallow, there's not a lot of saliva. What your body is doing is it's preparing you to run away from life and death danger. So you can't be digesting, you know, front and center. You can't be salivating front and center. It has to slow everything down so that you can run from life or death danger. It's actually what your body is doing is its job really well. The only thing that doesn't make any sense is when you have a panic attack, you're usually never in life or death danger because you're usually just sitting there and it comes on. Now, we've talked about this on this show, and, and this isn't what the story is about, but you, you can go to talk therapy for, for panic disorder, and you can find out, like, kind of what I call the CNN news crawl at the bottom of the screen. You can find out what your own personal news crawl is that's always going through your head that, that can lead to, without you even knowing it, you're triggering your body into some trauma response, right? So it's, it's all science, and it's really cool. It's not an emotional disease. It's science. The problem with panic disorder is a lot of people don't know what it is, but you have to do some stuff to take care of it. And oftentimes, part of having panic disorder is just letting the panic attack happen. Does that make sense? And a lot of times, it'd be a lot easier if you were in private. It's not, like, ideal for most people, I think, to have a panic attack while they're doing something important in front of other people because, you know, you feel like you can't breathe. Uh, it, it, that's the biggest thing is you feel like you can't breathe and you feel like you're, like, dying. You feel like you're slipping away from reality. So now I don't have panic attacks like I used to. I used to have 10, 15 a day um, in my teens, early 20s. And now, God, if I had 10, 15 a year, that'd be wild. But they do come and they come out of nowhere. So 
while my life is not an ode to not having a panic attack, I certainly know when I'm taking risks. So have I not slept? Am I hungover? And now am I going to eat a bunch of sugar and coffee? It's not going to be a good day for me on, on an airplane. I might have a panic attack even not on an airplane with that kind of thing. So I, I take care of myself because I don't feel like having panic attacks unless it's just sometimes you just have one and you're like, you know what? I did everything in quotes right. I'm just having one. And at that point, if you're such an expert at having them, you can kind of get out of it pretty quickly. Worst case scenario, if you're like me, I carry around dissolvable clonopin to get me through it if it's absolutely just unbearable. So one of the last bastions of things that I don't do, like I sometimes, it's not that I'm afraid to fly like a phobia, but sometimes I just don't feel like being in a plane trapped for hours and hours thinking about maybe panicking. But I do it. But one thing I don't do is go up to the Howard Stern building when I go do the wrap-up show. That's on floor 36. I have to do it. I'm not going to not do the wrap-up show. But if the, mostly I would never just go to the top of the Empire State Building for fun. And I'm never doing it. Never. I have not conquered that. Roller coasters, never. Now, I think those are more phobias, but they'll, they'll trigger a panic attack and it'll just be a nightmare. Uh, the physical response will just be so out of control that it would be hard to like, physically control myself. So if I ever have to get into a tall building, I need to know in advance so I can prep that day. How do I prep? I do specific body scan meditations. I don't drink caffeine. I make sure to have no sugar. I might do a really heavy workout in the morning to make sure I'm just burning off as much energy as I can. And I talk to everyone that's involved with me going to this in advance and let them know that I might have a panic attack and this is how I need to do it. And then I would take a dissolvable clonopin maybe a half an hour before I even have to be in the building so that I walk in and I don't even give myself a chance to feel the first tinge of a panic attack. Now, I had a meeting. I'm pitching a bunch of TV shows. Uh, so far, one of the shows, 100% not sold anywhere, which was huge setback, really bummer. The second one I'm pitching, still pitching, but I went to the uh, building that it was in. Now, Los Angeles, we don't have these skyscrapers like you do in New York City, Chicago, Toronto, Boston. We've got a few, but you never seem to have to find yourself in them if you're in television. But um, so I never, you know, when I get an address, my manager's assistant will put the address of the pitch meeting in my calendar for me. And I'll go, OK, I know, um, you know, Monday is the meeting with Universal Studios or whatever. Oh, well, I've been to Universal 50 times. I used to work there on the on the lot, Chelsea, lately. Like, yeah, those buildings are like three stories. I don't even have to think about it. Well, this day. I. You know, and I live really close to there. So I drive over two seconds, get out of the car. I'm about five minutes early for the meeting. And I go to the front desk and I say I have a meeting. And I, and it's a different building than I've ever been in. And it is one of those skyscrapers. And I'm like, hmm. And then I look at my phone as I'm checking in and it's on the 35th floor. And I am not prepared. I did not sleep the night before. It's just a random hormonal thing. I didn't work out that day. And I had two, like, Americanos. 
And I was, I like to get real hype, as the kids say, before a pitch meeting. Um, because weirdly, even though coffee can make me anxious, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of coffee to even make me alert. So I, you know, and I don't do any drugs and I don't do Adderall and I don't do anything like that. So I'll take an L-tyrosine, which is a, um, not a metabolic, what is the word? Not an antibiotic. Oh my God. What do you call those? Supplement, but it's, um, I'm going to lose my mind. I can't think of the word. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, it's coming. Hybrid. Uh, this is old person brain. I'm not even trying to be funny. Um, enzyme. Enzyme. Uh, I want you guys to hear how this goes because I know you're screaming it right now. Enzyme. Metabolic enzyme. Oh, my God. My Wi-Fi just stopped working. L-tyrosine is called a, and, and so is GABA. It's a enzyme. A, um, uh, ah, amino acid. Sorry. Okay. So an L-tyrosine is like an extra jolt of caffeine. It focuses you. It's almost like a natural ADD thing, but you're at risk for a panic attack if you take it. So I took that and my coffee to get all like, woo, ready for the pitch. And I'm like, oh my God, it's on the 35th floor. So my manager comes in. She's the, one of the producers on the project. I say, I can't go to the 35th floor. I didn't know. And it's nobody's fault, but technically I forgot because I've been in remission so long, like, it didn't dawn on me to tell your assistant if I ever have a meeting on the millionth floor somewhere, you got to like give me a heads up, not just put it in the calendar. I didn't take that precaution like in a general way because, again, we don't have those. In New York, if I lived in New York and I was going to meetings all the time, that that would be something I'd say like, hey, write yourself a sticky note, put it in your computer, you know. But anyway, long and short, she's like, well, maybe they can, maybe there's no windows up there. We can find a windowless room. I'm like, that would help. But what I need to know, and this is the research I would have done before, is when we get off the elevator, are there windows? And the problem is the elevator ride as well. And of course, my manager's other partner, she's like, oh, yeah, and your ears pop in that elevator. I'm like, but, but, do, no, see, I would have had to brief everyone on things to say and things not to say. And they're like, well, I'll hold your hand. I'm like, okay, that's good. That helps. So I took the dissolvable Clonny P, but it just, it wasn't in time. You know, it. I tried to get on the elevator. I did breathing. It just was one of those days where my physicality was not, I was, the, the thing I was worried about is I was just going to have a panic attack while pitching. I was pitching a show about a weird 14-year-old girl who has panic attacks. That's the show. I mean, that's one of the aspects of the show. It's the main driving character in her issue. So I'm like, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of cute. My manager goes, hey, pretty on brand. She didn't say on brand. She's not an asshole. She's like, hey, I mean, this is what we want. You want to get a show in the air where people talk honestly about anxiety and panic and you're having a panic attack and, and you know, if you feel like you can't do the meeting and you want them to come down to the lobby, I mean, it's like a gorgeous lobby. There's a coffee shop there. It's not insane, but it's one of those things where I'd rather have asked them to do it a week before than last minute. You know, because when you're in your office, you have your things, your computer, your assistant. They can break in with a phone call. I mean, it's a lot to ask people to leave their desk where they normally do pitches and come down to meet you. You know, it's not like I'm J-Lo. And, and the people there didn't really know me because they're young. and they're, you know. But it was interesting. So I said, so my manager's um, partner went up uh, to ask them, like, can we get a room without windows? And they were like, no. 
And I said, I, I can get through it. It's not like I think I'm going to die. But I'll be having to soothe myself through a panic attack with people staring at me. And it takes about a half an hour to do a pitch. It's like a half hour performance. That's how long it takes to describe all the characters. Like, And you have to do it. And if you feel like you can't breathe, it's just going to be a lot. And I'm going to be pretending I'm not having a panic attack. Now, I could have said when I got off the elevator, nice to meet you. Um, I have a real phobia of heights and I'm having a mini panic attack sitting here. And, you know, I, at the end of the day, I wish I had chosen that because usually when you do that, like the blood rushes through you and, and you sort of feel better. But I, I, I couldn't pick. It was just a bad day. It was just a bad day for panic. It was... It was one in a million. It was the one big one a year, and it just fucking happened to fall right during a pitch meeting. So my manager was like, look, we'll just ask them to come down the lobby. So they came down, and I explained to them, and the guy that I pitched to goes, I used to have them too, but I started meditating, which was fine. I'm glad that worked for him. I meditate too. I've been meditating since I was 20, Um, but it doesn't cure panic disorder like it definitely helps change but if you have a phobia of something which I do with heights it, it's just I mean yeah you know meditation is a practice it's not a cure so if I guess I was further along in my practice where it was like changing my life but I just question how bad he had it like some people go through periods with panic attacks but I have panic disorder like I've had it my whole life so and not that I'm not the biggest meditation proponent, but meditation for me is a way to stay mindful and to change the way I think about things going through the day in life. It's it's meditation is not necessarily for relaxing. So I don't know. I didn't get a good vibe that he even understood what meditation was or what even he was saying. So I pitch and there was this like other girl. Sorry to call her a millennial, but she was. And she was just staring at me and she looked horrified. And I was like, the whole point of the show is that it's a period piece set in the 90s and that we are no better off talking about mental health, panic, and anxiety now than we were then. Just 100%. We think we are. Lady Gaga's got a hashtag and a bus, whatever she calls it, My Little Monsters. And she's got mental health services on the bus that goes around. And that's all great. But it doesn't mean anyone knows how to have conversations about it. And I felt weird. But I was like, fuck it. And I just felt more emboldened during the pitch. I was like, sorry I made you guys come down, but like, fuck it. This is what it looks like sometimes. I was like, if you buy this show... I understand that we'll have to have a lot of production meetings up on that 35th floor. That's not going to be a problem. I'm just going to have to prepare and like, do my morning a little differently. Like It's not a big deal. I was just trying to take care of myself in the best way I could. And I felt that if I was having a panic attack during pitching you upstairs, I might stand to look crazier than this. And nobody was really like, it's okay. We totally get it. They're just staring at me. And I was like, okay. Like, obviously, you know, and then the next day they're like, this network announced all of its brand new digital streaming shows. And I'm like, you know, I'm not part of it. Now, I don't think they were buying my pitch anyway, because it wasn't the kind of content they're looking for. But I really was like, you know what, if you don't get it, you know, you don't get it. I can't be ashamed of, of, of what this thing is. You know, um, I think I wish it would have handled different differently. But I said to my manager, I go, this isn't one of the ones that could potentially buy, is it? She's like, no. Nah. I go, if this were a different buyer, would you just say, have the fucking panic attack and do it anyway? She goes, yeah. I go, okay. She goes, this is fine. She goes, and it's, you know, it's good practice. And she's like, I kind of like the idea that they have to confront like, <laughs> you know, that they saw someone with anxiety pitching a show about anxiety and maybe it'll give them something to think about. 
I do it for all of you out there, but I just wanted to let you guys know, like, this shit's real. Keeping it real. Um, so I'm a little jealous of Greta... I forgot her name. Girling Gershon... Greta Garbo. The little girl. The environmentalist girl. God bless her. I think I was starting to get mad because... So I used to write... Do you know that website, Suicide Girls? It's like girls with tattoos that do porn and it's supposed to be feminist or something. I always hated that website, but I had no fucking money. Uh, I think this was like, I was like living with my boyfriend when we weren't married yet. So that would have been 2005. So 14 years ago. God, the world was such a different place. And my friend Jerry, who I'm no longer friends with, actually, um, I think he's amazing. But he and some other people started like making fun of me when my book about not having kids came out on Twitter. And I just was like, why are you being mean to me? I've known you since college. Like, yeah, I don't want kids. Like, why are you taking it personally? Weird. Men get weird about shit. So anyway, he's like, hey, I write for Suicide Girls. You don't have to write under your real name. And you can write, you know, it's like the articles in Playboy. Um, but the, the website didn't have nudity. It was like an offshoot website of theirs that was like, I don't remember. Almost like Vice, but not Vice. So I wrote an article about there's this thing, Twitter, coming out. Um, and I... And I was just like, that was like the last thing I wrote before I got my job at Chelsea. And I was like, I'll never do it. This is stupid. We don't need to know what everyone's thinking every two seconds. This is the downfall of America. I mean, was that wrong? But then I talked about how I was starting to do some road gigs. And I was starting to be people's opening act and go on the road. Maria Bamford, Greg Barrett. And I said I felt guilty because I was like a psycho environmentalist. Like, I didn't used to wear leather. I know last week I mentioned leather. I ate no meat. I didn't have a dishwasher because uh, I heard that was bad for the environment. I wouldn't allow air conditioning in our apartment. Now it's like, I don't know what I was thinking. I also didn't have hot flashes back then. Um, I didn't use the air conditioner in my car. I mean, I it was like self-flagellation in a way. There was like, and so I would, I, every time I bought a plane ticket, even though I couldn't afford it, I'd buy the carbon offset footprint thing. And, uh... I wrote an article about doing that. And all these people trashed me. Fuck you, blah, blah. You know, I got trashed for everything that I wrote on there because I was the culture of the place. Well, now the new thing that I'm noticing, and I think it's Russian trolls, but the new thing is trashing comedians for traveling because Greta came over in a gluten-free boat and was like, hey, everybody, I'm, you know, and I think I'm going to talk about this next week on my Toronto episode, which is live and coming out. But um, just in case I didn't get to it, the new thing is trashing comedians who fly because we are using, uh, you know, fossil fuels. And listen, listen, I am part of the problem, but if this year I stop touring, it will not save the environment and I won't be able to pay my bills. And if I have a job, then I can relax and I can have thoughts and I can do things for the greater good and I can donate money to the right places and I can even have free time to go sit out, protest, volunteer. So we can't go insane. So everybody chill. Um, but I was jealous of her and I'm like, damn it. I had all these cool ideas when I was younger, but now I'm not. No one cares if the 45 year old woman's an environmentalist. She's way more of one than me though. But so I, it brought me to this article I was reading, uh, 25 famous women on achieving success later in life. And I'm opening it, open it, opening it for the first time. And I'm really hoping these people got famous later. I'm going to read you. Tiffany Haddish is one of them. (laughs) Tiffany's so much younger than me. 
Uh, Leslie Jones, here's a good one. Leslie Jones says, I remember some nights where I was like, all right, this comedy shit just ain't working out. And not just when I was 25, like when I was 45. So this I can relate to. I'm glad this whole success thing is happening now. I can't even imagine a 23-year-old Leslie in this position. They would have kicked me off the set of Ghostbusters after two days. I would have fucked half the dudes in the crew. I was a less confident person back then and damn sure not as funny. So there you go. Um, yeah, the article is, uh, for many women, the window of career opportunity seems to get narrower and narrower with age. And while dewy teen ingenues may look like they have it made, the reality is that plenty of famous women achieve success way after their teens, 20s, or even 50s. Below are 25 women um, who discuss the benefits of being a late bloomer. See, some of these women, we don't know their, their ages, uh, Cheryl Crow, you were a young woman, you freak, because you were doing music in the 90s, and I was in my 20s in the 90s, and you were maybe 10 years older than me. She goes, I would safely say that I've been relatively untouched by my success because I got a late start. I wasn't successful at the age of five with people trying to get at me. All right, so you weren't famous at five. That's not later in life. This is articles, like half terrible. Um Edie Falco. Okay. I'm the same person who 15 years ago couldn't get an audition. That's what I worry about when kids get success early on, when they start to assume this must be because I'm really hot stuff. If success comes early, it can mess with you. As rough as my early days were, I wouldn't change five seconds. I'm always grateful for work. Ali Wong. I got the crazy out of my way in my 20s. Ali Wong is in her 30s. That's not late in life success. God bless Allie, but that's not late in life success, and that's not her fault. Vera Wang, she started her business at 40. Okay, now that's a little, that, she says, is 40 old? Perhaps I would have preferred to start off at 20 or 30, but I don't think I would have been anywhere near equipped to know what it takes to be in business. I can't believe Vera Wang, I thought she was, was 40 now. Um, even at 40, I wasn't entirely sure I should be doing it. It wasn't an era for startups. I'd always felt I should learn and earn, and I'd already had two incredible careers working for others at Condé Nast and then Ralph Lauren the best in the industry. Still, I didn't feel very qualified or secure. I never thought I deserved to found a company, to think I could start and run and sustain a business. I knew how hard it was. My father was the reason I did it. When I got engaged at 39, I was a little beyond the age of most brides and on a quest for a dress. I looked everywhere from department stores to Chanel Couture. My father identified that as an opportunity. He didn't work in the garment industry, but he was a businessman. And he saw that bridal came with lower risks. It had low inventory, few fabrics at that time. And since people will always want to get married, a steady stream of customers, though they didn't usually repeat. I didn't know anything about dress design. I didn't feel ready. And when I left Ralph, a lot of doors that had been open to me slammed shut, whether it was a fabric manufacturer or a party I wanted to go to because I was now so small. Harsh. But my DNA was to find something I felt passionate about to make a difference and to work. So that's what I did. Okay, Toni Morrison, we can respect that. Um, it was very late in life that she says she recognized she had a gift for writing. I always thought I was probably adept, 
because people used to say so, but their criteria might not have been mine. So I wasn't interested in what they said. It meant nothing. It was by the time I was writing Song of Solomon, the third book, that I began to think that this was the central part of my life. It's almost as if you needed permission to write. When I read women's biographies and autobiographies, even accounts of how they got started writing, almost every one of them had a little anecdote that told about the moment somebody gave them permission to do it. A mother, a husband, a teacher. Somebody said, okay, you can do it. Ugh. Marina Abramovic. She's kind of a pain in my ass, people. Chris Jenner. Get out of here. Jane Lynch. I was 40 by the time I started making money at this, and I was happy before that. If you've got some goal that you think you need to be somewhere by the time you're some age, that's so stupid. Don't do it. I never had that goal. There you go. I'd say half that article is pretty bullshit. It's like, I got success at 20, but not enough. But now that I'm 50, it's like, that's not what, that, that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> All right, really quick, really quick. We will end on this. Listener emails. Let's see what's happening. I've been meaning to write an email for a while as I've gotten a lot out of listening to your takes and experiences with anxiety and depression. So I thought I'd put something out there in case you were giving more advice. I am 25 and over the last year have been struggling with health and general anxiety. I am definitely feeling so much better lately. It seems to have just taken time to feel this way. One thing I noticed was that I feel like I have lost some independence, worrying about doing things alone or being on my own. I'm going to tell you that that gets easier as you get older. You just kind of care less and you're less precious about it. Just it, there, there is just something about time going by. It's not like you get smarter. It just things change. You don't even know what it is. You're just like, I feel better. And but keep working on your anxiety, but also know that like there are extra built in boosts as you get older. If you're working on it, it doesn't get worse. Um, I have the opportunity to go interstate for a two-day work conference and thinking about it makes me so nervous. I would just love to hear how you, if you have felt this way and how you have confidence to be so independent. Well, I don't have confidence. I just have to do it or else I don't make a living and I'm nervous and I do it while nervous. And then when you do something while nervous, you beat the nervousness and then you keep doing it. And I think it's called reciprocity. Um, Read up, look at anxiety as science. Read up about as much as you can. Think about um, the nervous system, the paranervous system, and the nervous system, and just know that your body is always on your side. So when you're feeling nervous, it's your body trying to do something to help. Um, it doesn't always get it right. So, you know, something people always used to say to me that I hate, it was take a deep breath. It actually makes me feel anxious and like I don't have enough air. And I do the Alexander technique, which is a technique of like loosening up for your voice and body. It's really helped with my back. And my teacher always says when she wants me to get some oxygen in, um, I just I just avoid the words take a deep breath. I just throw them out the window. She taught me this. Wherever you are right now, if you're anxious and you feel like you need to take a deep breath, instead of doing that, blow all the air out that you have until there's nothing. And then wait, and your body's going to start breathing on its own because it doesn't want to hold its breath. And in that moment, by expelling all of that air, it actually calms you down as much as taking a deep breath. And when your body starts breathing on its own again, it sort of like lets you know deep in your soul that your body's got this. You can hold your breath if you want to, 
and just die. But your body's going to kick in and start saving you. So your body is working for you. And that was just a really cool reminder that as long as you're breathing, you got this. And this notion of take a deep breath, there's so much pressure. And I think it actually does a disservice. Just breathing is important. And I would, you know, if you have to uh, load up on podcasts, one of my favorites is 10% Happier with uh, um, Dan Harris, who's an ABC newsman. He had a panic attack on air. It changed his life. He started meditating, um, quit certain things in his lifestyle that didn't help. I've been on his podcast. I was on a couple years ago. But listen to things like that, you know, listen to things that make you happy. But also just listen to things. You just got to start thinking about your nervousness as just just get clinical, get scientific. This is science. Yeah, you're nervous. Don't get emotional about it. You know, um, and just do it anyway. And eventually your body will be like, I'm so tired of being nervous. It's actually not working. And you'll be like, thank you. And you'll feel sense of, such a sense of accomplishment when it's over that it's going to make the next time even easier. So anticipatory anxiety is the devil. So if you're nervous, uh, this sounds basic, but try to turn it into excitement. Um, and also allow yourself to be nervous. Trying to fight it. It's just, just live with it. Deal with it. Let it in. And just let it know you don't need it. But fighting it, it makes it worse. So, and read about the parasympathetic nervous system um, and what it takes to put your body into it. A lot of times it could be as simple as certain classical music. I mean, honestly, uh, there's ways around it. So if I can do it, you can do it. All right. Lastly, if you want to help this podcast, write a five-star review. I mean, write write a review on iTunes. Give it five stars. I'm looking for 2,000 reviews by 2020. We're almost there. We're at 1916. And uh, if you want to interact with the show, uh, I'm not in the private Facebook group. So I would love if you guys could leave comments on the Facebook wall and on the Twitter account. It really helps me know if I'm in the right direction and what you guys are interested in. I would really love to see more activity there. It helps me so much. And that's facebook.com slash having funless pod. And each episode I put up the episode and you can write the comments under there. And then Twitter at having funless pod. No, I'm sorry. Twitter is at funlessness pod. So that really helps when you put it specifically in the places for the podcast, as opposed to tweeting at me at Jen Kirkman. So if you could do that or send an email at I seem fun at gmail.com and uh, you can write a fun review like this one. So thankful for this podcast. This is from Kitty Tumblr. I was laying in bed with my depression and could not move until I remembered I can listen to having funlessness while I'm getting ready. Literally the one thing to look forward to on long days during difficult times. There you go. Until next week, have fun.